Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut grand opening of Mad Villain Bistro Bed and Breakfast Bar Grill Cafe Lounge on the Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Terry Talks Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clayton Terry. And I'm Ryan Terry. And for this last episode in our Halloween miniseries, we are going to be talking about our favorite horror movies of all time. So we each came with about three horror movies that we really, really love, and we're going to just kind of talk about them. They happen to be movies that both of us really love, so it's really six movies that are all of our favorites, plus some honorable mentions that we will touch on at the end. So why don't we jump right into it? Ryan, what's one of your favorite horror movies of all time? Of the three movies, I think two of them have been like considered like classic, and one of them is a bit more indie and like i think it's on par with these movies or at least close but probably doesn't have the right definitely doesn't have the recognition of these two my first one is um 1979's alien directed by ridley scott Mm. and written by dan o'bannon distributed by 20th century fox starring sigourney weaver uh everyone's heard of this movie (laughs) if not alien Mm -hmm. then one of its many many sequels and spinoffs so what about Alien makes it one of your favorite horror movies? It's it's a it's a suffocating movie. It's it's mm-hmm. a truly horrifying film because there's an especially the first Alien, there's an unknown quality to the xenomorph, to the ethos of the world. It's presented to you as just sort of another sci-fi semi-boring regular sci-fi world and you're following these characters who are cargo who basically run a shipping company it's just in space and then as the plot unfolds you get to see that there oh there's something else going on here there's something else going on Mm -hmm. here that no one knows about and that is so interesting um, one aspect of this movie I really enjoy is you do not know who the main character is until heads start getting chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really, I, I it's, it's a movie. I, I don't see a lot of movies who are willing to just make, to sort of de, de, um, democratize the characters until it has to choose one to be the survivor. I think that that's really cool. And it, it really, I mean, because this movie's been so old and we know so much about it, we know who the main character is. But like, um, if you're going into theaters and seeing this for the first time, or you don't know that um, history, then you honestly do not know who's gonna live and who's gonna die. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, the just this just the the design, the atmosphere, the acting, the uh, effects, everything about this movie is incredible but also somewhat subdued like they never show too much Mm -hmm. which i think is an aspect that i'll probably say about a lot of my favorite horror movies yeah they're not overzealous and like showing the monster or showing the killer like it's very that's what makes it scary right is you only get brief glimpses at it for so long Mm -hmm. and the first time the first time you see it is this the chest burster scene which is like, so it's the yeah. first time that that really happened. Something that it's probably the most gory scene in the movie, definitely. 
but it, it's mm-hmm. like it really sets the tone. It really separates the movie into two chunks, like before the alien and after the alien. Absolutely. Um, I've talked about Alien on You Have to Watch This, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I do think I prefer the sequel, uh, Aliens, but with these two movies, you're talking about a perfect sci-fi horror movie and a perfect sci-fi action movie, in my opinion. They are such strong entries in each of their genres, and they really define a lot of... I don't want to say the tropes, but they really set the standard for what a lot of movies that came after it would try and accomplish. Um, also, just because I'm on the Wikipedia page and I just saw this, Alien versus Aliens was a seven-year difference, which I... I thought it was even more than that. Or no, uh, Aliens was 86, so yeah, you're right. These are great time capsule movies, too, because like Alien is very 70s and Aliens is very 80s. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so like that's a... I mean, this movie, I I would say it's, like, it's definitely similar in the vein of those, like, art house type movies from the 70s. And it's interesting to me that a movie this quiet and si- this subdued caught on the way it did. I would put that in part to H.R. Geiger's amazing artwork and the amazing set design and just the way the movie looks and feels and also just how fun and how accessible Aliens is. Mm-hmm. Um, on a side note, every other movie in this franchise is trash. <laughs> I haven't seen Three Year Resurrection, so I'll throw that out there. Yeah, I watched Aliens so that I could watch like all of them in preparation for Alien Covenant. And then after watching Aliens, I was like, that was so good. I don't want to risk seeing the further movies and it ruining my opinion of Aliens. So I just never watched 3 and 4. And Prometheus... I know people that like it. I personally think it's pretty awful. I'm very boring, at least. Yeah, it's super and Alien boring. Covenant's the same way. It's horrible, I, in my opinion. I think I have two distinct problems with both of these movies. Prometheus, aside from being boring, feels like it has very little to do with the actual alien and aliens, which is the promise you kind of make when you're making a film like this, you know? Is, oh, we're going to mm-hmm. show the xenomorph and the origins of the xenomorph. And it's like, why? Why? Why do you have to show the origins? Yeah, who wants to see that? Yeah, and then Alien Covenant makes it worse because it... Well, I'd say both Alien Covenant and Prometheus have this problem, but Alien Covenant even more so. They make the xenomorph less scary. The xenomorph's not the threat anymore. The xenomorph is the thing, is the obstacle and not the threat. Like, there's something... What makes Alien and Alien so effective is, like... The villain isn't Wayland Utani, although they're incompetent assholes. The villain isn't Michael Fassbender as an alien as a robot. Um, the villain is this existential threat that does not think, does not care. All it does is kill. Mm-hmm. And the, it is the perfect killing machine. And you can't reason with it. You can't do anything with it. You can only run from it or try to kill it those are your only two options mm-hmm. and like in alien one there's a very clear option and in aliens they go they go for the other one <laughs> and that's what makes that's what makes these movies great contrasts as well is you take the alien and you say okay what does one in a cargo ship with a bunch of normal people do and then in aliens is like let's take this alien 
make a bunch of them and stick mm-hmm. them with soldiers see what happens it, it's taking the same idea taking the same design um the same passion for the character and the same passion for the artwork and spinning the the idea into something entirely new i've always viewed the title of this movie alien as not a noun but an adjective like this creature is wholly alien it is completely untied to earth and i I was gonna say like a prometheus alien covenant spoiler but i won't but just like the movies get away from that as they go on they try and tie it back to earth in some way and it's so much cooler it's just like you're traveling the depths of space and this creature that is wholly alien is what you're going to have to face well that's the i mean horror horror is most effective when it's unfamiliar yes and and that's the entire point of the title of this movie of the presentation of the xenomorph is it want you want it to look like something that cannot exist that shouldn't exist you want it to look like look like an abomination and they achieve mm-hmm. that so well the thing is disgusting it's huge it's slimy and it's one of the best clearly time has endured because it's one of the best designs i've ever seen in in a horror movie so much so that like putting this in the same pedagogy as some of the other like horror classics doesn't feel the same not because of a quality yeah. thing but just because it's like it's a great halloween movie it wasn't made for halloween no it's it really um it is science fiction and it is horror but it's also its whole own thing you know mm-hmm. i feel like it almost spawned its own aesthetic and genre and i can say that because we're playing alien isolation and it just mm-hmm. feels like alien it just looks and acts like alien like all of the um i love the like futuristic 2100s design where they're using like floppy disks and crt monitors <laughs> it's super mm-hmm. it's super fun and interesting and like also kind of scary in its own way because like you're in this hunk of metal in space and you're using these like faulty green screened <laughs> monitors to try and turn the power back on and it's like this does not feel effective <laughs> but like that that's the charm of this movie is it's just like it's just its own world mm-hmm yeah, similar to like the original Star Wars, right? And just the dirtiness of it all. Mm-hmm. And I feel, and that's very seventies too. And I feel like any attempt to after Aliens to expand this universe without directly harkening back to Alien or Aliens has been a f- not great. Because even Alien Isolation yeah. is probably the best thing to have been released in the Alien franchise since Aliens. And it's its own. It's it's basically just Alien One if playable, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you basically play as Ridley's daughter, and she works for Wayland Yutani, and she hears that there is a shipping, uh, there's a shipping, or there's a cargo ship going to where her mother was lost, mm-hmm. uh, the same region, and so they go there to deliver the cargo. They go to the um like space they go to like the commune uh which is a different like uh spaceship type base thing and they get there Mm -hmm. and it's totally ruined 
because of a, a because of a little alien there. So uh, so it ooh. is it is like a bigger alien one, but still it doesn't try to expand the universe. It doesn't try. It does in its own way. There's a lot of world building and the fact that this like complex exists and there are still people living in it who are terrified fighting for the alien says a lot about the alien universe on its own. But it doesn't try to explain the xenomorph. It doesn't try to get into the nitty gritty of like what is going on and why is it like this. It just is. Mm-hmm. And like that's scarier. On that note, I think we should start to move on to our next horror movies. But yes, Alien is without a doubt one of my favorites. And you can watch it right now on HBO Max if you'd like. Are you sponsored? No, I just, I want to, <laughs> I want to give uh, people that are listening to this, I hope these are recommendations for them to watch this Halloween season, so. I hope so. I mean, this is a total worth the watch any time of year, obviously, for all of these, but, like, mm-hmm. fantastic movie. Moving on to one of my favorite horror movies, you could also call this a thriller, I would say, but that is the 1991 American psychological horror film, The Silence of the Lambs. This is directed by Jonathan Demme of Stop Making Sense fame. Yeah, woo! <laughs> Based on the book by Thomas Harris, and it, of course, stars Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Now, this is another movie I've talked about, and you have to watch this. So I rewatched it for that about two years ago, and this movie is wholly perfect, in my opinion. It is haunting through the performances of Anthony Hopkins and Ted Levine as... Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill respectively and the way it's shot to truly bring horror out in the male gaze is one thing that I feel like I've never seen a movie before this try and do and that adds to the horror element in a wholly unique way it feels like the horror of this movie is so unique from the horror aspects of any other film and ryan have you seen this at all recently not in a while but god knows i've seen enough video essays picking apart the hannibal lecter scenes (laughs) to uh honestly remember at least a decent amount enough to talk about it i will say an interesting thing is along with alien and we didn't talk about ripley enough which is a shame because she is one of the best which is one of the best main characters in film ever Oh, yeah. But I will say it's interesting that a lot of horror movies are, or the horror movies that we've picked about, uh, we've picked to talk about to a certain extent, take on female perspectives and tackle issues like femininity and in the case of aliens, motherhood. Mm -hmm. But uh, probably just because there's something intrinsically terrifying about being a woman. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that these films do a really good job of exploring it from those perspectives without seeming demeaning, which could be hard because they're both directed by men. (laughs) No, absolutely right. I think like that's a testament to a, the horror genre overall, because like this is an avenue where you can explore psychological trauma or you can explore familial trauma or I don't know. It's an avenue for exploring a lot of different trauma and aspects of living in this world maybe racism maybe sexism that are hard to come up in other ways as authentically if that makes sense because you can explore them so metaphorically or so abstractly yes that it doesn't seem pandering 
yeah no it like it comes up it feels like a natural avenue for these kind of things to be expressed in a wholly dramatic way it's maybe my favorite aspect of horror and all of my favorite horror movies have some element of that of this movie's about yes this ghost or whatever that's haunting us but it's also about like family dynamics or being a woman in the male-led FBI and how the killers that you're talking to look at you just the same as the way your boss does and what is what terrifying elements are attached to these this world we live in I also would say it's worth mentioning that this is one of only three films to win all five of the big categories at the Academy Awards so that's best picture best director Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay, or any sort of screenplay award. That happened in 1934 with It Happened One Night, and 1975 with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Which it absolutely deserves. Absolutely. It's hard to categorize it as a horror film in the uh, broadest sense, because it's very thrillery. I mean, it's a terrifying movie. Yeah. Um, It's terrifying for its, like... um, it's very realistic Mm -hmm. it's not and yeah there's a bit of a like oh crazy criminals doing crazy criminals doing crazy criminal stuff (laughs) involved (laughs) but otherwise it's very much a thriller i i i think it's more comparable to like uh fincher's crime works yes than a, a horror film than a typical horror film with that being said it's totally worth watching for a halloween pick because it's still terrifying in its own way especially Hannibal Lecter's performances and Buffalo Bill and all the stuff with him yeah and uh Clary Star Jodie Foster's Clary Starring Starling is one again one of the best main characters in a movie there's something so relatable and so um likable about her and the position she's in because it's it's she feels she's completely alone mm-hmm and the only person that can even some somewhat understand her is this cannibal <laughs> who is a constant presence in the movie despite the fact that he's only in it for 8 minutes. Yeah. I mean like her being the only one running the track at this FBI academy, like she's coming up this rope and there's no one on the rope beside her. That tells you everything you need to know about this character. That she is a fighter and she is alone, but she thrives in that. And it's, again, it's like, it's a thriller. It's a horror movie. It's also a character study, I feel like, into these three main characters. And that's why it's so effective. And another one that's hard to pin down, like Alien, is that it's almost a beast in its entirety, in its own right, because it is so good. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously, I mean, the direction... And the camera movement, especially during the Hannibal Lecter scenes, has been talked about to death. But mm-hmm. it's it's just a class, a perfect example of using camera work, using staging, using camera angles to display power dynamics within a conversation. Yes, absolutely. Like the way that the camera pans up based on who's in control of the conversation, the way it gets closer when there's more intimate information being shared um it made me look at films and filmmaking a different way yeah and that is something that is 
rare for a movie to be able to do is to change your perception of like, oh, what's really going on here? How is the director thinking about this scene? How is the cinematographer thinking about this scene? What's the point of the lighting? What's the point of the camera work? What's the point of the uh, where the camera is placed? All of these things are deliberate choices you have to make. Absolutely. With that, I will say that this movie is available to watch on Netflix, at least in the U.S., and that if you want to hear a more in-depth conversation, you should definitely check out the You Have to Watch This, where Ted and I talk about it. Also watch Stop Making Sense. It's a perfect movie. Um, I would have talked about it if it was more horrifying. <laughs> if it was horrifying in any way. Yeah. Um. All right, you want me to move on to my next movie? Yeah, why don't we move on to your next movie? Okay, so I'm talking about a movie that has been talked about to death. <laughs> God Not knows. like the alien and... Um, the silence of the lambs that's true but at least there's no documentary trying to attach alien to the moon the filming of the moon um <laughs> this is stanley kubrick's the shining and obviously it's a movie that's been that's very popular i feel like it's one of the first movies people think of when someone just says the word horror yeah and i love stanley kubrick um i think he is one of the greatest obviously it's not a controversial opinion one of the greatest directors to ever live i think the shining has been one of his most um accessible and broadly accepted works of his mm-hmm. and like i i would say the same about uh like 2001 or is not accessible <laughs> at all um a lot of his <laughs> movies they're very they they've become standards and classics but they do have this oddball Art artsy strange aspect to them and i think mm-hmm. you can i think he gets he tones it back a bit for the shining um i think he part in part because he had to stick to stephen king's novel um but this is a more accessible movie in his catalog and the fact that it is horror i feel like probably gives people more leeway for like the weird shit <laughs> Yeah. I still don't know if there are ghosts or not in this movie. I'm leaning towards yes, but I really wish there were none. And this was just the descent of someone of this mad of Jack Torrance, this madman losing it in this hotel. I should say the plot if for those unfamiliar. Basically, um this family, the Torrances, um they go to the Overlook Hotel to uh look at, uh while it's on um a break to look over it for the next couple of days and then hijinks ensue um <laughs> it's it's uh released in 1980 based off scene king's novel of the same name in 1977 uh what do you think of this movie glenn i really love this movie i saw this in the theaters last halloween i believe oh i didn't know that yeah um the little theater here in rochester shout out we'll do a saturday night rewinds and they did one for The Shining, and the theater was so hot, like <laughs> it was boiling in there. But it just like added to this like complete suspense for the movie. And I've seen it probably three or four times now, and each time I watch it, it is moved up further and further in my favorites list. I am definitely not as big a fan of Stanley Kubrick as Ryan is, but. I think this movie, and arguably 2001, 
and Paths of Glory <laughs> are all pretty <laughs> perfect movies. And I think this movie in particular is a testament to how some of the best creators are best when they're reined in by another amazing creator, right? Because Stanley Kubrick being reined in by Stephen King, he's able to make one of the best and most accessible movies of his and also one of the best horror movies. And then you look at like David Fincher reining in of Aaron Sorkin for The Social Network, like that movie is better than the sum of David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin, right? And then you see Stephen King make a movie of The Shining when he isn't reined in by anyone and it's trash. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I I put that on part because I don't think Stephen King knows what makes a movie good. <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah, he likes everything, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've seen Maximum Overdrive, which is the only movie he's directed, and that movie's a blast. That movie's so much fun. <laughs> it's just to say that having... I don't really believe in auteur theory, so having someone who can rein in these auteurs is what makes them stronger you know like don't give me a hundred percent i don't know tarantino kubrick fincher give me 90 percent because that's where the real genius is in my opinion because it's easy for a director to just do their thing yeah i know that's a complaint that's been leveled at wes anderson a lot lately is that he's kind of devolved in or uh, we were just complaining about tim burton how he's tim burtonified himself uh, yes. Ridley Scott has totally jumped into his Ridley Scott hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I think their works are lesser. And like, I don't think Stanley Kubrick was quite at that point yet. I can maybe make an argument for something like A Clockwork Orange being full Kubrick. Mm. Or to, 2001, he, he even had like the uh, Arthur C. Clarke he was working with. But like, yeah, I think um, the interesting thing about mentioning that is I can't speak for Kubrick because I don't know if he said anything about this movie. Um, I wonder if this was the movie that either of them wanted to make. I'm willing to guess that it's the movie Kubrick wanted more than it's the one Stephen King wanted because Stephen King hates this movie. That's a really interesting point. I do wonder if this is if Steve if Stanley Kubrick's 100 percent happy with this. I know it's not his favorite or second favorite movie of his, right? Because his favorite was Eyes Wide, Eyes Wide Shut. Shut. Yeah, which is bizarre, wasn't, but wasn't it? Yeah, honestly. But then wasn't his second favorite uh, A Clockwork Orange? I know he he was really proud of A Clockwork Orange. I know he was also really proud of Doctor Strangelove. Mm, yeah. Because I, I, th- I think he liked the idea of, like, Doctor Strangelove's also in a weird place in his category, in his catalog, sorry. Because it's, like, the movies after is Lolita, and I don't remember what the movie before is. Um, but it's, like, it's his only comedy. Yeah, as much of a comedy, I I call it, it's pretty squarely a comedy. Um, yeah, it's but funny. it's it's just so weird. It's a weird movie, and <laughs> like the whole thing takes place in like two, three rooms. Yeah, three rooms, and it's just I think he likes. I think he probably really enjoyed mocking like American Cold War sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's Stanley Kubrick. He'll mock anyone. He'll mock Stephen King yeah. to his face by making this movie. <laughs> yeah, laugh in front of the burning Overlook Hotel. Yeah, it's a bizarre psychopath of a man. Uh, for what it's worth, if there's any directors like Steve Stanley Kubrick working right now, they're probably a dick and not worth working with. Because <laughs> he yeah. did not treat his actors well. 
I'm like, this is totally a tangent and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I'm so over like directors that are just complete dicks. And then it's like, oh, it's for the art. It's like Ryan Johnson makes great movies and he's so fun to work with that like people would come to set for Knives Out when they weren't scheduled to be there. So he was just like, well, let's just throw you in the background of shots. So that's why Jamie Lee Curtis is in the background of a bunch of shots. She wasn't scheduled to be there. She just loved working with him so much. And like, you can say what you will about Quentin Tarantino, but I know his sets are like, after every take, he's like, we're going to do it again. And cause why? And everyone shouts back like, cause we love making movies. (laughs) And like, he's playing music and stuff. And I just feel like that's a better productive that's a more productive atmosphere for creative endeavors. Absolutely. And also just the like you like, yeah, you're making art and all that. But also it's a work day and they're part of unions and like the intern can't move the box without being yelled at by someone in the union. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This is a this is a job and this is a workplace. Mm-hmm. You can't not treat it like you can't abuse your actress just because you want a better take out of her. Yeah, you know, which is which, according to Shelley Duvall, that's what happened. And Stanley Kubrick was not quick to say no, so that means it happened. And also, I wouldn't doubt her because Stanley Kubrick is an asshole. Mm-hmm. And like, I would have rather we have maybe ninety percent of the Shelley Duvall performance we got, but we get to see Shelley Duvall in other movies. You know, like yeah, maybe her performance would have been marginally worse if he wasn't so mean, but it also wouldn't have ruined her life. <laughs> mm-hmm. That happened with Bjork in Dancing in the Dark with Lars von Trier, who is even worse. Who <laughs> was a much worse human being. Yeah, I hate Lars von Trier. But, um, yeah, to dive back into the movie a bit, it's almost hard to talk about because it's been talked about to death. I think there is this... One thing I really appreciate about the movie, and this goes back to hearkening to the unknown thing, is... You never really know if there's ghosts in there. You never really know if there's something paranormal happening to drive these people insane. It could just be a winter storm and a family who hates each other. And that's <laughs> all it takes to set this writer madman off. Mm-hmm. And that is really interesting to me because it, it, it ponders the question, could anyone be like this? If, if yeah. the circumstance brings us down to this level of total insanity, would we be Jack Torrance? Absolutely. I think I know Stephen King feels like that aspect of the book doesn't come through in the movie, mainly because of the casting of Jack Nicholson, who just looks crazy to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I think it does come through of like, is this this place that's haunted i would argue it's pretty clear that it is in the movie but also it could just be this one man going crazy i think the one thing that really says like oh this place is haunted is the door being unlocked that's like the only obvious hint to me that the place is haunted well also oh yeah jack isn't the only one to see ghosts yeah but like i i could also attribute that to them going insane as well to a certain extent true yeah because, like, they're different ghosts, aren't yes, they? Yes, that's true. I'm trying to... I don't want to spoil it too much, but I don't think they see the exact same apparitions. There's also the whole shining aspect to it, which you can't really get away from. I don't even think it's that... Despite the fact that it's the namesake of the movie and they spend a good time good time 
explaining what The Shining is, nothing, it's not the most important thing in the movie. No. Like, it doesn't really, I'm, I would imagine it's more important in the book, but I haven't read the book. I've seen some of the Stephen King miniseries, and oh boy, it's not good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the performances are fantastic. Um, Jack Nicholson just always looks crazy, so I understand the, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to make him an everyman mm-hmm. idea, but I think that works more on a, a abstract, metaphorical level than it necessarily does explicitly within the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Although I think that was an intention of the movie. For sure. I was just going to say this film has endless iconography, like the I'll work and no play makes Jack a doll boy, the typewriter, the yes. little girls, the bike, the carpet. <laughs> Everything in this mm-hmm. movie has been emulated and done to death. And I think that speaks volumes of how it's shot, which is immaculate, obviously, because it's Stanley Kubrick, but also the set design. And how beautiful everything just looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, making movies is a team effort, and Stanley Kubrick may this movie wouldn't be amazing without him, but it also wouldn't be amazing without that set designer, or without Shelley Duvall, or without Stephen King writing the book. You know, so. And I think he knew that because he always worked with people. Like in this movie, yeah, Steve, it was a book was by Stephen King, and the screenplay was him and Diane Johnson, um, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, with a space with space odyssey you know i think he liked working with people definitely and with that i think we should move on to the next movie but i will quickly say that uh the shinning the simpsons parody of the shining is very good and made my top three i believe favorite treehouse of horrors and if you want to watch this movie it is on amazon um to buy or rent and then same with youtube so not really streaming anywhere but so the next movie i want to talk about is another film I've talked about and you have to watch this and a film I've talked about on Terry Talks Pod because it was my second favorite of that given year. If you ask me today, I would probably say it was my favorite of that given year because the film has only grew stronger in my opinion. And what that was is number cor- one? Uh, Infinity War. Oh, uh, okay. And that would be Ari Aster's horror film Hereditary. This came out in 2018 and was written and directed by Ari Aster, and it stars Tony Collette and Alex Wolf of the Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> so it's really this, a masterpiece already. Yeah, just in the casting, honestly. This movie is the scariest movie I've ever seen in my entire life by a significant margin. This story I've probably told on Terry Talks Pod, and you have to watch this, but I'm going to briefly tell it again, is that we were deciding between seeing The Incredibles 2 and this, and me and Ryan won that argument, and we went and saw this, despite Ethan's best wishes, and it traumatized everyone in the audience. People walked out. By the end, uh, people were crying. It was so scary. I remember that. That was crazy. It was so crazy. I've never experienced what this movie did to me before i've always thought like oh horror movies don't really scare me um and they don't generally but this movie broke me and it's good beyond just how terrifying it is you know like the directing is amazing considering this is ari aster's directorial debut or at least for a feature-length film 
um anyone who hasn't seen uh what's it called what's wrong with the johnsons or whatever yeah something like that that's a oh oh that may that's such a gross movie yeah anyone who hasn't seen it do not watch it it is horrible uh horrible in the sense of like it's really hard to watch not in the sense of like it's poorly made because it's it's pretty well made if his intention was to fuck people up which clearly it is Mm-hmm. and i don't it, it was this movie was incredibly polarizing but at the same time it made eight times its budget it made 80 million dollars on a 10 million dollar budget and i think that just shows that at the very least this was interesting to people and this was something new that was being said in the horror genre and even if you came out traumatized it changed you and it gave you that emotional response that movies but especially horror movies should do i remember walking out of this theater and like i thought it was pretty scary but ethan and clayton were like horrified (laughs) and what happened with me is walking out i was like that was a fantastic movie it was kind of scary and then three days later i was driving home from a friend's house it's buttfuck nowhere western new york (laughs) and there's and it's 3 a.m. and there's a car behind me and it's like a 30 minute drive to our house and I've never been more scared in my life than in that moment because this movie just instilled in my brain someone is following you mm-hmm. someone is watching you and that is the that is the effect this movie has on me it did scare me immediately and it was really gory and really gross and really psychologically powerful while watching it but it scared me three days later driving home from a friend's house because this one jackass (laughs) took the same Mm -hmm. route as me (laughs) and that's all that's all i need to that's all i need to say about the effectiveness of this movie really is that it sticks with you It, it it's for me it was a slow burn for some people it was very it was effective immediately um, the most horrifying, uh, to me, the most horrifying scene and thing that happens in this movie isn't even paranormal or supernatural in any way. It's very yeah. possible. It has happened, I'm certain. Yeah, I we won't go into the specifics because I know what scene you're talking about, but holy, holy hell, this movie is so haunting and terrifying in so many ways. You have that realism of, like, this could actually happen, and you have the paranormal, which usually doesn't really get to me but in this particular aspect the way the paranormal is shot is so traumatizing i had a similar experience of ryan where like the we saw the movie and then the next day i was traveling to visit friends and i visited friends in new hampshire and they took me down like these dark dirt dirt paths in the woods and like trees would have fallen on paths and we have to like back up this like one-way street and then I would sleep in his basement where it was like pitch dark. And I was like, I am going to be killed by someone in, from this movie. <laughs> someone naked, probably. <laughs> yeah, they will likely be unclothed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's the best endorsement you could give. Well, what's the movie about real quick? Okay, so real quick is Ellen, which is the matriarch of this Graham family. She's the mother of Tony Collette. She passes away, and though she is gone, the trauma that she brought to this family is long from gone. So 
they start to slowly reveal the kind of person this mother was and the worst aspects of her are carried down through the family and some of that is paranormal some of that is mental health that's obviously what this film is playing on is how we can't help but pass down the worst aspects of ourselves to our families and how traumatizing that is to both the person the uh matriarch slash patriarch and the um children so i think that that theme is really what brings this movie to a whole nother level and like in some ways it's shot and written more like a drama than a horror movie definitely you have like long takes of just them eating dinner and it's incredibly tense at the table like that's not typical to the horror genre as far as i know because the horror comes from their reactions and what they say and how they treat each other even though they do love each other Mm -hmm. um it's just sad a lot of this movie is just sad and it really it really desensitizes you so that when the horror stuff does start happening it like it hits you on a different level it does yeah it plays on all sorts of your emotions mm-hmm. like like it primes you by making you just feel awful for these people and then the really shitty stuff starts ha- or maybe not the really shitty stuff then the paranormal stuff starts happening yeah like it's already this grieving and pathetic family just being mm-hmm. destroyed essentially yeah i think i think we could both talk about this movie forever but i i think unlike maybe every other movie we're going to talk about today it plays on those emotions to a whole nother level like it leaves you traumatized it leaves you scared to be driving down this lonely rural road and that's its strength and again this is a directorial debut from someone so really amazing and one of the reasons i get pissed when people say that there aren't good movies anymore uh, or good horror movies uh this is clearly bucking that assumption so this can be watched on amazon prime as well as rented and bought on amazon and youtube just as a heads up ryan why don't we talk about your third movie that you brought to us today my third movie is a film I saw about two or three years ago um, that uh, captivated me and confused me and more than scared me, probably just frightened me <laughs> uh, in its existence. 2013's Under the Skin, directed by Jonathan Glazer, who is I do because he did the Karma Police by Radiohead music video. Oh, okay. Um, this movie uh, came out in 2013. It's another sci-fi um, horror movie. It grossed seven million and off of a 13.3 million budget, so it flopped. <laughs> um, mm. But this isn't the type of movie you release to do well in theaters. It's almost impossible to explain the plot of this movie, although I guess I'll try. It really is just Scarlett Johansson walking around Glasgow, getting in cars with people. (laughs) (laughs) And they film her getting in the car with people, and it's pretty obvious that there is something up with this person. 
Mm-hmm. She's not normal. And um, she keeps seeing this strange, mysterious figure. They never give a name to her or this figure. It's implied that there's a job she's doing or this is something she's undercover or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Although that information isn't really given to you verbally or in any way explained. Um, a lot of the reactions of the people that she meets and gets in the cars with and talks to are real and they're not real. Pe- they're not actors. They're real people that they're filming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can tell because half of them you cannot understand a word of. Yeah, their accents are very thick. Yeah, and so it's a bizarre movie, but it's captivating and it's fantastic. And, and it really, it, there there are a few scenes in particular that just hit me to my bone in some scary, some just sad, some some just like really fantastic studies into this character and what she wants and who she wants to be despite the horror horrificness of her nature mm-hmm. you almost you're almost watching the monster realize they're a monster that's what this movie is sort of feels like to me yeah i um i watched this semi recently as well i think during quarantine maybe but i will say i'm not as big a fan of this movie as ryan is i think the first half is amazing and that's where you see most of scarlett johansson luring these englishmen (laughs) into her car unknowingly and then you see like what she does to them so really intense and unique body horror i would say but Mm -hmm. then it does kind of transform into like her questioning her job i guess her her place yeah her role and her place in this world and that is the part i get less interested in but it's definitely worth a watch for that first half at least in my opinion i i enjoy both half i mean the first half's definitely the more horrifying the more iconic if you, yeah. if you know about this movie you know of it because of the first half probably um the second half i enjoy for its own completely separate reasons where it's sort of exploring the complexities of human and human nature from the perspective of this alien for lack of a better word who cannot mm-hmm. who's trying to understand them but just can't and like sometimes they show a great amount of love and faith in her and sometimes they're horrible and horrifying and it really runs the gambit with the people that she talks to most mm-hmm. of which are male as well like like this yeah. also has a great a great amount of like femininity as a theme and hereditary as well yeah which is again in, just interesting to point out but um yeah it's 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 a hard movie to talk about because saying anything almost feels like both a spoiler and not a spoiler mm-hmm. <laughs> does that make sense like this film doesn't function on the same level as other horror movies or other sci-fi movies do. It's very cerebral. It's very metaphorical. It's very abstract. Anyone who watches this will take a different thing from it, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. It's wholly unique in its horror nature and it's just nature of a movie, you know? Like you don't usually have just an actress wandering around a city luring in 
non-actors non into their car, you know? This film is also just visually stunning. Oh, absolutely. Like, the beginning sequence, everything within the, like, Black Void area, um, the way she looks by the end of the movie, it's just... And, and, and it's not... It's pretty, like, when it happens, it's pretty sparse. Like, it doesn't happen mm -hmm. so much that it, like, overtakes the film. But when it does happen... It's obvious and it's striking. Definitely visually one of the most unique movies I've ever seen and definitely unique in the horror genre for sure. I'm looking at other movies the director has done and I don't recognize any of this. It's like Birth and Sexy Beast are his two other feature length films. Oh yeah, no, this is, there's some weird stuff in here. He does a lot of music videos. Yeah, I see I see that all the Radiohead <laughs> oh, yeah. music stuff. I, for, I forgot about that. I mean, do I recommend this as a Halloween horror movie? It's not exactly one of those types of movies. Um, it's wholly unique. I've never seen a movie like this. I don't think I'll see a movie like it for a long time. It's based on a book I have, uh, by Michael Faber. No interest in reading the book because I know it goes more <laughs> in-depth into how the, how the world functions. Mm -hmm. And I'm not particularly interested in that. It might be a good book, though. It might be worth reading. And I think this is definitely, if you're someone that's seen all the classic horror movies already, but maybe some of the more recent ones have missed your radar, I think this is definitely worth a watch and will give you the creeps that uh, other Halloween horror movies will as well. And it will also make you ponder on your, uh, your life experience and the role of humans <laughs> yes. on Earth. So this movie, it's been on Netflix in the past, but it is not currently. Um, again, you can rent this on either Amazon or YouTube, and I do recommend you do that. Wasn't A24 supposed to have like a streaming service or something? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember that. Okay. I know Blumhouse is doing their own, and I'm like, you're going to, you want me to pay uh, like a $5 subscription fee a month to watch Blumhouse movies? <laughs> I don't know. I heard Are that, you kidding like, me? <laughs> I heard Shudder, which is something you can add on to Amazon, is something that has a lot of great horror movies and is actually Yeah, I heard Shudder is great. It was just the Blumhouse thing I thought was funny. Yeah, yeah. Just one company. I mean, even Disney Plus, with all the stuff they own, you look at Disney Plus and it feels kind of lacking. So. Yeah. I mean, I could only watch Happy Death Day so many times <laughs> before I've had my <laughs> I, fill. I want to see that. People, you're the only person I know that like really does not like that movie. <laughs> I, I really didn't like it. I also sort of have a problem. My problem with the movie and they, they, just to go off on a little side tangent, my problem with the movie and I see it with the next movie too, is it seems like the director has really figured out his niche where he's like classic 80s or 90s movie, but it's a horror comedy. <laughs> Because <laughs> the newest one is Freaky Friday, but it's like a teenage girl swaps the body with a serial killer. Oh, I didn't know that was the same director. Yeah, and I'm like, are you... You've really <laughs> bet it all on black, haven't you? <laughs> you've really decided, like, I'm going in on this, and I'm this is my thing. <laughs> and it's like... And, and yeah. I probably wouldn't even have much as much of a problem with it at, unless it, it constantly reminds you, like, oh, this is a Groundhog Day thing. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> Like, at least Palm Springs yeah. takes that idea and turns it into an entirely new movie. Like, this kind of wants you to know that it's Groundhog Day. And it's like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sold on that. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, Palm Springs is so good. But anyway, that's a complete tangent. <laughs> My third horror movie that I'm bringing to the table is the 1982 American sci-fi classic directed by John Carpenter, a pioneer in the horror genre, arguably created the slasher genre with a movie I'll talk about in my honorable mentions. This is The Thing. We talked about this in Best Sci-Fi Movies of All Time, specifically Ethan brought it as uh, his argument. And though I was supposed to be arguing for my movies, I do think The Thing is basically a perfect movie. It is wholly unique in the sci-fi genre. It's wholly unique in the horror genre. It has incredible body horror that still stands up to this day and is still haunting and unique. It has an ending that leaves you talking. It has amazing performances by Kurt Russell and the rest of the cast where you're not sure who to trust through the whole movie. And the performances don't really give you any hints in a good and exciting way. And the music, which is by Ennio Morricone, uh, rest in peace, he passed away not too long ago, is just absolutely amazing. He is, of course, known for spaghetti westerns like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and even more recent like Hateful Eight. But that sort of music works in this suspenseful thriller that um, is set in the middle of the Antarctic where you don't know who you can trust. Just This is another movie where it is so much stronger than the sum of its parts, but if you remove any one thing, it isn't as perfect as the movie the end product ultimately was. Ryan, I you've seen this movie, correct? Yes. Yeah, of course. I think so, I, did I watch it with you or did I watch it with Ethan? You probably watched it with Ethan because I saw it uh, with friends in college. <laughs> yeah, I meant like if we had, you had rewatched it with me. Oh, I don't. I don't think so. I've only seen it once or twice. But what are your thoughts of the film? This movie is fantastic. Uh, perfect on every level. <laughs> I agree with everything <laughs> you said. Um, it's just effective. It's just mm. so effective. It's it's. It's it's a film where you cannot trust anything and anyone and you're constantly on the edge of your seat. And I think that it's basically Among Us the movie. Oh my god, you're so right. I never <laughs> thought about that. So if you if you like Among Us, you'll love this movie. It's another one of those movies that I feel like it's been talked to death, but like people rarely go into the specifics and usually just talk about the um effects and the makeup which are fantastic which are amazing um but it's also just like it instills this lack of trust and i think a lot of movies from this time period since i talked about the shining and alien have this like oddball unless it's one of well even some of the slasher like classic horror movies like nightmare on elm street they sort of have this all oddball artsy quality to them yeah, that I kind of miss in horror. Not to say that it's gone, because I don't. I don't like people who say like, "Oh, horror is worse now," because it's not. It's just no. you have to look for it differently. But like the big hitters of horror movies, like in some Blumhouse films, it exists. In some 
um, bigger productions that exist, but certainly not. It almost feels horror has become something of a capitalistic buzzword and less of a sandbox to play in, at least when it comes to major studios. And this is just an example of having so much fun and so much understanding of the function of this uh of how horror should work and how it should affect an audience also we paused it at the beginning and i think we got spoiled a little bit because amazon lists the names of the actors when you pause and there that you remember the dog at the beginning of the movie yeah it lists the dog as thing dog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so funny i mean so like, you're like god damn it <laughs> it's pretty obvious in my opinion if you know anything it's pretty about obvious the movie, but this was like the, the second shot <laughs> oh my gosh yeah true this was like before the movie had even started it was like you saw the helicopter and then you saw the dog and that's <laughs> why did you guys already have to pause it i don't know i think ethan had to go to the bathroom or something he's <laughs> like you know what now that i think about it i do need a break yeah <laughs> We started this movie too early. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, this is a film that, like, is also interesting because this is a remake. Like, this isn't the first attempt at this movie. And yet it, 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 like, the only thing similar between this movie and the the first one, which I don't even remember what it's called. It's like... The Thing uh, from Outer Space. The Thing from Another World. Yes. Sorry. Um, The intro is exactly the same as the intro for A Thing from another world to the like burning on paper mm. um but after that like the only thing that that's this movie really takes from that is the idea of the thing which is i mean once you see what it really looks like it's horrifying mm-hmm. and like yeah the scarier part of it is that it could be anyone in the cast it could be you don't know who it is and that is the biggest plot pushing thing in the movie where it's like, Oh, this thing could be anyone and there's no one you can trust. Uh, Kurt Russell obviously does a fantastic job. Um, he's the most, he's the perspective character. Um, but otherwise there just isn't, uh, and this is another one of those movies that has like a ridiculous amount of iconography and, uh, has been endlessly referenced. Mm hmm. John Carpenter is just truly the master of horror. The fact that like he has two entries in this canon or probably even more that just defined the genre is absolutely insane. He is a classic filmmaker in the truest sense. I mean, even outside of horror, you've got Assault on Precinct 13, Escape from New York, a uh, big trouble in little China. Yeah, you, you get he, he's just. I mean, and something I can say for almost all of his movies is they're fun as hell. Yeah, they're so fun. This movie is a blast, and it's horrifying, and it's got you on the edge of your seat. But it's like you want to see more because you're just having the best time with it. There's definitely like the two categories of horror, right? Where it's like there's fun horror, and then there's not fun horror. Like Alien, The Thing, Halloween, The Shining, that's all kind of fun. And then you have like Hereditary and Under the Skin and stuff like that. Isn't it's so good, but it's also like 
not it's distinctly unenjoyable <laughs> yeah like suspiria i was thinking about talking about suspiria and that's another movie that's just it's just not fun that's just not a fun <laughs> movie like if you want to have fun watching a movie don't watch suspiria uh watch um uh oh shit his other movie i'm blanking on it call me by your name <laughs> call me by your name watch call me by your name instead yeah, I, I, is that fun? <laughs> uh, it's uh, the beginning's fun. It's not dramatizing. <laughs> That's true. Um, also, interestingly enough, this movie was panned on release. Yeah, which I mean goes to show hindsight's twenty twenty. But just like mm-hmm. the the way that this movie, it's I always love movies that, despite bad critical response. And like it, it made like four million past its original budget, which could have been a lot, which was probably a lot back then. But mm-hmm. this movie has endured, and I'm thank God, you know, absolutely. Like like the idea of the thing, you you say the thing, and I don't think of a being, I don't think of a like what some what it looks like. I think of more of an like. The idea of, I mean, funnily enough, an imposter. Yeah. I mean, the poster tells you nothing about the creature. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I love. And it doesn't tell you. I mean, it tells you it's like, oh, we're in a snowy place. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's really all you get. Um, there was a The Thing remake. Yeah, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, I know nothing about it. I've heard it's actually a prequel. Yes, it's the people before the dog runs to the uh, yes, yeah, new group. That's that's really interesting uh, idea. I hope the movie's good, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I've also know that this has spawned like a big underground cult following with uh, mm-hmm. like comics and like extended media, which is probably worth checking out if you're a huge fan of this movie. Definitely. And if you want to check out the movie itself, it's available for rent on Amazon and YouTube. The sequel is streaming on HBO Go or HBO Max, but unfortunately the original is not. And you can also listen to our sci-fi podcast from a couple years ago where we talk about this movie even more extensively. Okay, so we each got to bring three horror movies. Now we're just going to quickly mention some honorable mentions Uh, for me. I've got the 1982 film Poltergeist. This is directed by Toby Hooper, but the story is by Steven Spielberg, and it really feels like a Spielberg movie. I watched this recently, and it was such a blast. You have great practical effects. You have amazing Spielberg feel. Like It feels like E.T. It's one of the more fun horror movies I've seen, and it's available to watch on Netflix. Next, you have another John Carpenter movie, 1978's Halloween. This arguably created the slasher genre. And just the idea of Michael Myers as a pure embodiment of evil, although when he takes off his mask, he looks like a twink. (laughs) (laughs) Just this pure embodiment of evil terrorizing this town is such a fascinating way to jumpstart this genre. And it's really only been built upon but never emulated in my opinion but john carpenter's halloween from 1978 this you can only really rent on amazon it looks like 
but highly recommend. Next, you have George Romero's 1968 Night of the Living Dead. This arguably created zombies. It created what we know of as today for zombies. The zombies that we see on Walking Dead or in Shaun of the Dead and any in any given movie. And they forgot to copyright it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Which is, thank God. <laughs> Honestly. But this movie, it's so great and it's available on HBO Max and Amazon Prime. And after you watch it, I think you should listen to the recent Unspooled episode on this movie. They really dive into what it's like to view this movie nowadays and how the race aspect of it plays differently. Or Honestly, it plays the same, but it's scarier that it's still relevant over 50 years later in 2020. Next, I want to talk about Dr. Sleep. This is Mike Flanagan's sequel to The Shining. Mike Flanagan is known for The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor on Netflix and also some other horror movies. But Dr. Sleep is amazing. People ironically slept on it when it came out uh, last year. And it makes a great companion piece to The Shining. It only enhances it. It does not make it worse at all, in my opinion. This is available on HBO Max. And finally, The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers, another 2019 movie that is wholly unique in its horror. And I know Ryan loves this movie even more than I do, but it's available on Amazon Prime, and I highly, highly recommend that as well. I didn't even get the chance to talk about it last time because of um, it, I hadn't seen it yet for our best of uh, 2019. But my favorite or second favorite movie of that year, perfect movie along with Parasite, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I got three quick recommendations. Uh, two of them horror, one of them not horror, but is super fun to watch on Halloween, I think. Uh, Get Out by Jordan Peele, which plays on the race yes. thing that we talked about. Um, fantastic, fun, uh, in some ways horrifying, in some ways campy or funny. Maybe not campy, funny. It, it, it's got a great sense of humor to it. And uh, also constantly reminds you how scary uh, white suburban America yes. is. Um Suspiria, which is a horrifying psychological thriller directed by Luca Guanino. Um, it is one of the only movies that have made me think that I should leave the theater. <laughs> wow. Uh, particularly the first like dancing ballet scene. Um, fantastic mm-hmm. film. Worth a watch. Uh, totally does not get the recognition it deserve, deserves, I believe. And then finally, because this is a blast of a movie, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Edgar Wright. Yes, Shaun of the Dead is so good. I think it's a perfect Halloween movie because it's, uh, or not perfect. It's it's one of the perfect Halloween movies because it's it's so much like you put it on at a party and everyone's gonna be enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Maybe not be scared by it at all, (laughs) but it's so much fun and the cast is so fun and it's just. Oh, it's so funny. Egg, everything Edgar Wright does is funny, and we've talked about him to death on this podcast, despite the fact that he really doesn't have that many movies. But he's so <laughs> it's so fantastic. I'm not usually a horror comedy person. Like I've just recently watched Evil Dead Two, and I really am not a huge fan of that movie or its predecessor. Um, but Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorites, and it might be the only horror comedy movie I can think of that I like really truly love. So thank you, Ryan, for 
bringing these horror movies to discuss and yeah, for course. doing these episodes over this month. I loved it. I'd, I'd love to do more. I mean, not the more Halloween podcasts, but more uh, Terry Dogs. <laughs> Definitely. So that's kind of a good transition to us bringing up the fact that we're not going to do weekly anymore because this is a crazy amount of work and Ryan and I are both really busy. Mm-hmm. But we are going to hopefully do once a month. So be sure to subscribe and maybe go back and check out some of our other episodes while you're waiting for our month, our episode in November. Um, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to tackle end of the year episodes because movies didn't really come out. And if they did, we didn't see that many of me and Ryan, but we'll figure something out. And in the meantime, Ryan, thank you again. And I really enjoyed discussing these horror movies. It's my favorite genre and Halloween's my favorite time of year. So thank you. This has been a blast. I loved the last of us. I really loved the Batman pod. Um, this is, I, we've been talking about doing this podcast for two, three years now. Yeah. We've been talking about it for a crazy long amount of time and I'm, I'm finally glad we get to talk about these. Me too. So you can find my other podcasts at stories worth sharing and you have to watch this. A lot of the movies we touched on today, we've also talked about more in depth at you have to watch this. So be sure to check that out. Also go back and watch the, or listen to the other episodes of this pod for, Halloween and just in general like we said the sci-fi episode we talk about the thing so a lot of different places you can go to hear more in-depth conversation about these movies Ryan anything you'd like to promote um I'll plug this pod again because I think that the latest stream of episodes we've done have been especially fun and I've been especially proud of on top of everything else that we've been doing I'm really glad we get the opportunity to do this do this I do a show with uh, my co-host Lucas and Evan um, called You Have to Hear This, where we recommend albums to each other and then discuss them. Um, that's always a blast. Uh, the newest episode's a little late because I, we've been really busy, but um, <laughs> that has uh, we're doing a Halloween episode next week where we recommend Halloweenish type Ooh. type albums. Uh, it should be coming out on Halloween if I don't mess up. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting. <laughs> and then. Um, also, I'm in a band called Beach Tower. Uh, I'm the lead guitarist and a co-songwriter. And our latest EP, a Beach Tower EP, was released about a month ago. Um, really proud of it. Uh, the reception has been crazy. Um, we're playing a gig for it on Halloween, a live stream gig. So if you want, check out uh, Sound at Sound Surfaces. I think the uh, Instagram handle is. Uh, <laughs> I think that's everything. I have going on right now oh also real quick sorry we me and me and me and evan stream just throwing that out there we stream like fairly often we don't have a schedule yet but we stream at like 9 p.m eastern standard time okay with that um i'll throw all the links to that in the description but in the meantime thank you again for listening i hope you have a happy halloween i'm one of your hosts clayton terry (laughs) i'm ryan terry and uh ryan quit uh oh uh i um you got red on you as a shot of the dead reference that wasn't great i'll come up with another one uh later nope you gotta wait till next halloween bye